The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. This week on the Pet Buzz, we're talking to the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association, John DeYoung, about a community approach to dog bite prevention. Deirdre Schlenninger, the chief executive officer of Stop Foodborne Illness, is joining us to talk about pet food safety. And on Flex Facts, we're giving you the 411 about taking your pet to the vet. Edward Dubavi, the director of the virology section of the Animal Health Diagnostic Center at Cornell University, speaks about a new strain of distemper that affects pets and their peoples. Good morning. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. You are listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio, where we want to help you take better care of your pets. We welcome our listeners who tune in each week from around the world. So, Dr. Fleck, let's kick off the show with Celebrity Pet News. Everywhere I go, you know, people are talking about Game of Thrones. I guess that's what happens in a final season of any TV show. Well, fans are obsessing because they just don't want that fave. They want that fave to just last longer. They want to, like, enjoy it as long as possible. Anyway, I found this little piece on People Pets Online, and I thought y'all would really like it. So People Pets thought some animal-loving Thrones fanatics might wonder what the show would look like if the entire cast was made up of dogs. So, okay, here we go. So just like a Burmese mountain dog, Jon Snow can handle the cold and has a loyal heart. The Didion people pets reveal that Snow's character lacks for love and that the Burmese temperament often craves an extra cuddle or two. I don't know if that's a good guess or not. What do you guys think? Tell me on my social media channels. Okay, next up, Jamie Lannister. You know, imagine him as a golden retriever. Jamie has got those blonde locks, just like the golden retriever. He's loyal. He is into his family and very affectionate. And the writer of the article felt that that collar definitely fit him. But although fans know this particular brother's affection is a little overboard and sometimes intense, I thought that really made sense. A good call for the golden because golden sometimes can be a little too needy. And a little too right there. So I think that could be the pothic bit. Okay, now let's talk about Arita Stark. So what dog would you imagine her as? What do you think, Dr. Fleck? Mm, maybe a Boston Terrier. You know, that's a good call because that's what the writer of the article wrote. She said that Aria is wide-eyed, quirky, and constantly being underestimated. Aria is a tiny tomboy with a unique personality, and that's the role of a Boston Terrier. I'm really not convinced. I'm thinking she's more of a Tibetan terrier, loyal, independent, active, curious, and not always obedient. So what are you thinking? What are you thinking about Tyron Lancaster or Daenerys Targanian? What breeds of dog would they represent? Find out more by visiting our social media channels on the Peppas. I can't wait to hear what you think. 
Okay, this next story, you're going to love Dr. Fleck because you know April is Earth Month. Recycling is not always what I think of when I think of dogs. But I changed my mind when I read about Chipper. Now, Chipper is an eight-year-old dog who is obsessed with plastic. And his pet parent turned that activity into a positive mission. She wants the two of them to help clean up the environment by picking up garbage wherever they go near their Arizona home. So Katie Pollock, that's his owner, she realized that her pup had a passion for disposable water bottles soon after she adopted him in 2011. Isn't that kind of cool? She turned his obsession into something really positive. So she said that she encouraged and rewarded his behavior. So everywhere they go, they collect bags and beer cans and plastic bottles and discarded pieces of clothing and whatever she can find or really whatever people leave behind. And she always comes prepared with bags to collect waste and has been shocked at how much garbage the two can pick up. So when people seem chipper in action, they get really excited, kind of like she says, a positific level of commitment to the environment. I kind of like that positific level of commitment to the environment. (laughs) What do you think? I think it all sounds good to me. I think it sounds good, too. So what do you got? Here's what I got. All right, pet lovers out there, did you see the Beverly Hills Dog Show on Easter Sunday? I did. We did together. Yeah, we absolutely did. Bono, the Havanese, won Best in Show at the third annual Beverly Hills Dog Show presented by Purina. Another dog show by Purina. And it aired on NBC, of course. Mm -hmm. They did a great job, by the way. They really did. I mean, it was just, it was really interesting how they did it. The Havanese, a Cuban-bred canine, beat out more than 1,500 dogs. Wow. From more than 200 breeds. That's a lot of dogs and that, a lot of breeds. That's a, That was at that California show, Beverly yep. Hills. Mm-hmm. Before taking home the top spot, mm-hmm. Bono, show named Grand Campino Gold. What? See, Chum- what are you talking about? Stop that stupid Spanish accent. It oh. doesn't work. Oh. Anyway, he's got a long name. But yeah. we, li- we like to call him Bono. He has AKC titles in front of his name. So it's Grand Champion Gold Champion Oestus in the Name of Love. Oh, my gosh. I know. That's a show name. Okay. Well, you know, Harrison's name was not as fancy. He's a champion. Yeah. And he is champion right in style. Yeah. And you're a champion, and your name isn't really that complex no but like Morrow's is champion saruka i can't even remember what oh Morrow's show oh name says oh that's okay well you know anyway yeah bono won the best in group for the toy group uh-huh bono was handled by taffy mcfadden mm-hmm. who's an expert handler and so is her husband yeah they got a duo that's and- uh you know who the, her husband is yep bill mcfadden yep He's won it twice, the Westminster Dog Show. Right. With uh, Mick, the Kerry Blue Terrier, and Flynn, uh-huh. the Bichon Frise. In 2018. Well, you got another story, Dr. Fleck? Okay. I got one that's a little creepy. I like those creepy stories sometimes. Okay, okay. So what do you got? Well, according to the International Business Times, two sisters in Russia recently found their beloved, this is a creepy story, beloved mm-hmm. 18-year-old dog lying still and unresponsive. What's that about? Well, the owners probably were believing that the dog was dead. That's so kind of weird. placed him in a plastic bag. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hate to even talk about this story. And buried him in a shallow grave at a local pet cemetery. Who would think those Russians had local pet cemeteries? True. <laughs> uh-huh. It was later revealed that the dog named Deke was not dead. Mm-hmm. 
when the pet dug himself out of this grave. Say what? <laughs> dug himself out of the grave. Okay. So Dee clawed and chewed through the plastic bag and dug up the dirt. Across. Okay. He eventually wandered to a nearby road and collapsed from okay. exhaustion. Wow. That makes sense. Two teenagers eventually found the dog and called a local shelter to care for him. The shelter posted pictures of him on social media, and his family saw the pictures and recognized him. Really? I'm sure they were creeped out. Social media commentators in Russia, meanwhile, were quick to compare the story to Stephen King's 1983 Pet Cemetery, which premiered in American theaters in early April. Because, you know, we, we talked about that, remember that? And we actually showed a clip we posted on our social media channels, a yeah. clip from, yeah, if you see that cat, Church. Too, 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 <laughs> too scary to look at. Uh-huh. In the horror flick, a family's life unravels when the, they bury their pet cat in a spooky animal graveyard in the woods behind their new home. Uh-huh. And the feline returns from the dead. That's Church. Uh-huh. Let's just hope the sisters' lives don't compare to the movie. You never know. Okay, well, lastly, I have to tell you, I'm happy to report that a Coachella, California woman, not Coachella, the music show, the music festival, but a California, a Coachella, California woman, Deborah Sue Caldwell, she's 55, she has been arrested this past week for animal cruelty after dumping, get this, a tied plastic bag full of three-day-old puppies on a hot day. It was about 91 degrees. Luckily for those puppies, a bystander, probably I think it was a homeless person, nobody really said that, rescued the puppies, and he went into a, a, a store nearby, and he asked for help. Caldwell was identified. Now, I love to tell you, everybody, caught on tape. You can't do anything these days. You get caught on tape. Caldwell was identified because she was captured on a surveillance camera, getting out of her white Jeep Wrangler, disposing the bag full of puppies behind a store. She just chucked them in the garbage. In the dumpster. In the dumpster. Well, according to Riverside County Animal Services, she was arrested in her home on Monday afternoon. Good Good. I mean, you know, lock her up, right? Let's chant that. Lock Lock her her up. up. Lock Lock her her up. up. I'm sure you're chanting with us. Well, on the premises, authorities found a large number of dogs who have now been taken into custody and are being cared for. I think she had something like 30 dogs. So who knows what she was doing, what kind of activities she was doing. Sounds like a backyard breeder to me. Well, meanwhile, the puppies found in the dumpster, they're doing well. And I'm going to post a little video and some pictures of them. And they're with a foster who can properly care for them and bottle feed them because they needed to be bottle fed. And at the time of her capture, it's really unclear why she dumped the puppies. But her actions can result, get this, in two to six-year-old prison term with a possible 20000 fine. That's just not enough for me. So we want to congratulate the authorities in Coachella for finding this criminal so quickly. I mean, last weekend, it, the story was posted, and by Monday, she was uh, she was captured. Animal abuse, I think, on any level these days, is no longer going to be tolerated. Wouldn't you agree, Dr. Fleck? I totally agree, and I'm very glad that it will not be. You know, and, and on the note of wrapping up this segment, I want to leave you with these words of a great man. Mahatma Gandhi, the greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. Absolutely. What a great statement. I think so. It's a great way to end this segment. So we're excited to come back in our next segment talking to the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association about community dog bite prevention. This is a segment not to be missed. 
Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. Hi, I'm Brad Garrett. In 2007, the investigation of the Humane Society of the United States exposed the link between pet stores and puppy mills. Large puppy mill operations were busted in Maine, Oklahoma, Texas, and Virginia. Bottom line, puppy mills are cruel and their puppies are often sick. So do yourself a favor and go to your local shelter for your next dog. You'll get an inoculated, already fixed dog for almost nothing. So you'll not only save some money, but you'll also save a life. Thank you for joining us this morning on the Pet Buzz. This show is hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And we enjoy being with you each week talking pets. Well, you know, dog bites are serious public health problems that inflict considerable physical and emotional damage on victims and incur immeasurable hidden costs to communities. So joining us today to talk about community approaches to dog bite prevention is Dr. John DeYoung, the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association. Dr. DeYoung has worked as a companion animal veterinarian and experienced veterinary surgeon. He owns the Boston Mobile Veterinary Clinic and Newton Animal Hospital. Dr. DeYoung, good morning and welcome to the Pet Buzz. Oh, good morning, Dr. Black and Charlotte Reed. Great to be with the two of you. So how many people are bitten by dogs each year and talk about the cost of something like that? There's a good news, bad news, I guess. The good news is that the number of dog bites claims has actually decreased by a little over 6.5%, and it's down to 17,297 claims in the last year. And the amount per claim, also good news, has decreased by 5.3% down to 39,000, according to the Insurance Information Institute and the State Farm, which is the largest writer of homeowners insurance in the United States. But the dog-related injuries from bite wounds account for nearly a third of all homeowner liability claims. The wow. Bad news is, yeah, the bad news is the number of emergency room visits, especially by younger children, ages 0 to 1, has doubled from 1,794 visits back in 2001 to 3,125 in 2018. Wow. And every every one dog bite is too many. So um, it is a, an issue out there that we need to be paying attention to. So it's interesting. So we know that children between the ages of 0 and 12 are being bitten, especially male children. But what dogs are biting? Is it all dogs or a specific larger breed dogs? There's all sorts of dogs that are biting. And, you know, the cost is really greater than just dollars and cents that we were talking about. It's not only a tragedy for the families and the individuals that are bitten, but as well for the people that own the dog that's doing the biting, because sometimes those dogs will be euthanized. Um, There have been some communities that have actually gone forward to sort of the breed-specific legislation preventing ownership of certain breeds. And that's not what we need to do at all. It's it's not um, trying to legislate against specific breeds. So all breeds can be uh, known for biting. I remember many years ago, some interesting data, and we're talking 15, 20 years ago, but the number one biting breed at the time in the United States was the Cocker Spaniel. Hmm. That was in the 1950s, right? Oh, I thought it was more like the, the 80s, but it may have been back in the 50s as well. Um, but I, I see dog bites when I do see them um, coming from all breeds. It's a question of 
the dog's environment, the dog being fearful, how the dog is being approached, and a whole bunch of other components as well. So how can the community bring awareness to the issue and reduce those number of incidences? A lot of things. Number one, being active, supervising the dog and the child is the only way to prevent dog bites. Most people that are bitten, most children are bitten, are bitten by their own dog or dog that they know. So it's a question of making sure that um, the, the signs that a dog might be giving a person are understood. They might understand, think of a dog's yawn as being sleepy and licking as kissing, but often they can be signs of stress on a dog. So it's a question of educating people that own dogs and children that are approaching dogs to be careful on, on reading the right signs that the dog might be giving you. I would also think trying to explain to people they can't anthropomorphize about their dog. Too many times people really believe that their dog is their kid or their son and not recognizing that dogs consider there's a hierarchy in the house. And too many times, especially if you have a small dog and a baby crawling around the ground, they, they're not in tune with that, don't you think? So well said. I couldn't have said it better myself. You're right. People anthropomorphize animals all the time. They think of dogs as their children because the human-animal bond has grown in significance dramatically over the last um, 10, 20 years. And animals really are seen as part of the family. But it's important to know that when a baby is crawling around on the floor or they start to grab a dog or a cat's tail or what have you, and they're not supervised properly by their parents, that's when accidents can happen. If you've just joined us, we're speaking with the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association about how present legislation can help reduce the number of dog bites. Okay, so let's talk about how present legislation and communities help. The one thing I already mentioned about being breed-specific legislation is really not important and not a wise thing to do. Um, It's not going to really reduce dog-related injuries. It's all about educating owners and what have you. I think most communities have leash laws, um, and, you know, as far as when dogs are outdoors, that they need to be on leashes to make sure that they can't run loose, run up to a child or an adult and potentially uh, bite them if the person senses fear or if the dog happens to be aggressive. And then there's also, you know, important that dog bites be reported. They should be reported because most communities require that. I know that here in Massachusetts, I'm required to, if a dog bites a person, I need to contact animal control, and that animal is going to be quarantined by the local animal control officer for a period of time, depending on his rabies vaccination status and other factors that might be involved. And then they may be assessed as to whether they're dangerous or not. And I'm always sympathetic to people whose dogs bite because it's traumatic, especially once the police report gets filed. I mean, you don't, you know, that, like you said, that animal is the animal-human bonds increased, and that's really important. But you have to know who those known biters are in the community. Because I've been bitten by a dog. My dog got bitten a while ago in a New York City park, and then I was bitten in the dog park. And I have to tell you, that person, they tried to hide. They were afraid I was going to sue them. And, and I'm around dogs all day, so that wasn't my modus operandi. But I did have to go make sure the dog was up to date on shots and had his vaccination so that my health nor my dog would be, you know, in question. So mm-hmm. it's good to know who the biters are in a community. Okay. So it's very important. So what preventative measures can take place? I, I would say socializing dogs properly with people and making sure that they're well-trained and knowing your dog. As you point out, there are dogs that you need to be a little more careful about. They will give you signs. They may be 
a little more rambunctious, a little more aggressive. I mean, as a practicing veterinarian, I see it all the time. I'm sure Dr. Fleck seen it in practice as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, you've got animals that you've got to be a little more cautious of and you've got to make sure that the owners don't sort of take a look at it and say, Oh, that's just my dog being silly or something like that. Mm-hmm. No, it needs to be taken seriously. And so it's important to socialize the dog properly. There's all sorts of great training. Um, there are some dogs that are just naturally more aggressive or a little more fearful. And you've got to make sure that you work with your veterinarian so the veterinarian can make an, a good assessment of what the dog needs to make sure that the dog is safe and that the people around the dog are safe as well. So I'm going to ask you a leading question. How can local sure. shelters, business owners, pet professionals, neighborhood associations, the media, how can they all help? Again, it's, uh, socializing can be the difference between bonding properly and dogs potentially being returned and understanding the dog's communication signals and body language. So training yourself, even sometimes before you get a dog or when you get a dog, to know what things to look for. And that will protect the dog, the owners, and the community as well. I think it's really interesting because this time of the year, as the weather gets warm, we're spending more time outside. So, you know, a nice PSA on a new local news station or even, you know, any business owner who mm-hmm. has a bowl, you know, maybe want to want to talk about or pass out any uh, administrative or any, you know, policy stuff that's going on. I mean, you know, it's really interesting that we're talking about this because, as you probably know, Perina has this big push to make communities better pet cities. You've heard about that, right? Yeah. And it's the second year they went to the U.S. Conference of Mayors. But, you know, it seems like they're only talking about the frills. They're talking about, you know, having the pet bowls out, getting communities together. But I think these are just as important issues to talk about. Equally or more important. Right. Because as we've seen, we've seen an increase in dog bites and postal workers. <laughs> or, you know, there was just a guy in, remember that guy in Detroit who was, oh, yeah. they, the dog bit his boot. <laughs> he got <laughs> out of the house and he bit his boot. The neighbors were trying to help. But I mean, I think this is just important to have a better or a more friendly pet city too. It's important to have a, a good pet friendly city. It's important to educate the public. And as you said, good PSAs. The show that you're doing right now is a perfect example of how to get the word out to the public and veterinarians doing their jobs, as well as their entire veterinary staffs in their hospitals. Absolutely, Dr. Zhang. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us this morning. We're going to have him back because I like him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My yeah. pleasure. Yeah. And if people want, they can go to our website, avma.org, and even avma.org forward slash dog bites. There's education materials for all age groups, and we're happy to be a, a resource for the public. That was Dr. John DeYoung, the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association, discussing dog bite community prevention. Up next, we're talking about pet food safety. How do you make sure your beloved animal's food is safe for consumption? Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. 
You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. You know, springtime is cleaning time, especially if you have a pet. So while you're using all that pent up elbow grease to get rid of wintertime pet hair, scurf and other pet messes, make sure your kitchen is pet food safe. So... From dirty sponges to food storage, bin handles to refrigerator, the kitchen is the one room in the house most likely to be bacteria tainted. Pet food is more easily cross-contaminated when everything in its path is covered with bacteria. So joining us today to talk about how to keep your pet and his or her food safe is Deirdre Schlenninger, who has served as the chief executive officer of Stop foodborne illness since 2010. Schlunninger also has served as an advisory member of the Joint Institute of Food Safety and Nutrition and is a participating member of the Safe Food Coalition and the Make Our Food Safe Coalition. She serves as Commissioner of the International Food Science Certification Commission. Deirdre, welcome back to the Pet Buzz. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So is the rumor, too, that we hear, will you be retiring next month? I am. At the end of May, I'll be retiring. Oh, that's happy for you, (laughs) but sad for us. Yeah, we're so sorry to see you go. Why is spring a good time to review food safety practices and incorporate maybe some new healthy habits into our daily routines? You know, it's always a good time for uh, food safety practices, but it seems like in spring a lot of people just kind of get renewed energy and and want to clean out all the cabinets and all of their spaces. And uh, so it's a good time to think about food safety while you're doing that. So my question is, because I'm always intrigued with this bacteria and I'm constantly cleaning my kitchen, what areas of the kitchen can be bacteria breeding grounds? Well, there are so many. (laughs) Let's see which we should choose. The kitchen sink is certainly a place for bacteria. It's important to clean it um, really well out every night. And uh, countertops, cutting boards, and someone recently pointed out to me I hadn't thought about spices. You reach up and grab your spices after cutting meat or, or other foods and uh, then put them back sometimes while thinking. And uh, so that's a new thing on my list. Yeah, for pets, we don't really worry about the spices so much. But no, I was making no. a chicken last <laughs> night and yeah. I realized that that's one of the things that you have to do. So, I mean, this is great overall, but. You know, we are pet specific here. So go ahead, yeah. Dr. Fleck. So what, what, do, what do we have to know about the sponges and the dish rags, especially when we're using them on, on the counters and the food pet food bowls? Well, they're a good reservoir for bacteria. So uh, I like to put them in the dishwasher when I wash dishes at night. I just stick the sponges in there as well. You can also microwave them for 30 seconds and uh, to kill bacteria or drop them on the washing machine. Good to keep them clean, especially when you're using them on, on your pet dishes. 
Yeah, that's a good point. See, Dr. Fleck, now when you're looking for sponges, mm-hmm. now you know where they are, in the mm-hmm. washing machine or in the dishwasher, because mm-hmm. he's always saying, you're taking the sponges, you're taking the sponges, Deirdre, and I'm always cleaning them. Okay, so I just found this out. This is a new holiday, the first week, or awareness month. So the first week of April was a new pet awareness week. It was National Raw Pet Food Month. So why do pet owners who feed raw have to be probably more careful with the foodborne illnesses? You know, raw foods, of course, uh, are more likely to have pathogens in them because they haven't been cooked to get rid of them. And there was a study, a new study recently in Netherlands uh, at the university uh, that tested raw pet food for uh, zoonotic bacterial and parasitic pathogens. And they found uh, E. coli listeria. Salmonella were all uh, present. So, for those that don't do raw, what's the best way for pet owners to secure kibble and and treats? And how how should we maintain pet food containers? Well, I think just as we do with our food, um, you know, the container should be cleaned out as as regularly as you can. I I keep I have two dogs and I keep mine in a big plastic cup and I clean it out you know, probably once a month really well. It's important also to, um, if you're using other, you know, a lot of the treats and things come in those resealable packs, which is fine to keep them in. Um, some people will put them in glass or plastic containers on their countertop, which is fine as well, as long as you're keeping them clean. Well, I'm going to um, actually just make a little sidebar to that. It's really important to keep the bag that your food comes in and put it in the plastic container because that bag has batch and lot numbers. So should your food become contaminated, you need to have that information so that you can send it to your vet or you can send it directly to the FDA. So you want to keep the, like Deirdre said, you want to keep those containers clean, but you want to keep that batch and lot number and any information off the bag so it can be easily traceable. Okay. So here's one thing I think that a lot of us do. We don't want to admit it. I actually did it the other day. I actually did it this morning to tell you the truth. So why is it important to use a scoop and not your hands to take pet food out of the feed bag. I only did it because I scooped it and then I threw the scooper in the sink and I didn't want to take the scooper, even though my sink is clean and I clean it out with Clorox all the time. I didn't want to like take it out of the sink wet and shove it in the food bag. So I just, I just stuck my hand in for a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think as long as you wash your hands really well afterward, (laughs) you're probably okay. However, uh, we do like to see people use scoops because you have to worry about cross-contamination with foods. Why do we have to be careful about discarding pet food, thinking about that, especially down the drain or the garbage disposal? I think that, you know, you have to be careful about putting anything with bacteria, you know, in reservoirs. Again, if you have pet food with pathogens in it, then, then that's going to cause a problem uh, going forward. You know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting um, was talking about the refrigerator. So um, because a lot of times and I'm going to make this a twofold question. So a lot of times we find old pet food in the refrigerator because we've put so many new things in there. So I was curious about that. And I was also wanted to talk about the importance of putting a a lid on the open cans of food. Can you talk about both of those a little bit? Yeah, I think anything you put in the refrigerator, you have to be careful about cross-contamination. So it, it's the same kind of principle that, you know, 
if the food touches something else and if it's contaminated, then you're contaminating other foods in the refrigerator. It's really important to cover up uh, the pet food. And, you know, I know that cat cans have those special plastic tops you can put on them. But if you don't have it, you know, use foil or plastic wrap or something to cover the food. So what do we need to know about reusable bags? Because that's a, I think that's a great question, Dr. Fleck, because the stores want you to buy them. You stick them in your car. I've got a collection of them. I do, too. I recently was looking at mine. I thought, uh-oh, it's time to wash them. So it's, it's uh, you know, wipe them out with a cloth if they're plastic, or if you can, throw them in the washing machine and wash them. Again, it's the same thing to think about with cross-contamination. You know, bacteria can linger, and so we want to make sure that the places that we're putting food, regardless of whether it's human food or pet food, needs to be clean. If you've just joined us, we're talking with Deirdre Schlanginger about how to prevent pet food contamination. Here's my last question. So why is it important to recognize the signs or symptoms of foodborne illness in pets? And can you review them for us? You really need to watch your pets. Are they eating? You know, do they feel like they have a fever? Do they have diarrhea, uh, particularly bloody diarrhea? All signs to look for in terms of are they throwing up? You know, those are all signs to look for in, in pets that might be ill. And I think, you know, if you see any of those signs, of course, you want to visit the uh, doctor. But I would always ask the doctor if, you, if you're if you worried about, you know, that they may be sick from a foodborne illness, I would ask them to do a culture, a fecal culture, to test for pathogens. Great. Deirdre, thank you so much for being with us today. But before you go, can you give us your website? Yeah, sure. It's uh, www.stop foodborneillness.org and foodborne has an E in it so at the end we want to wish you luck with your new career so good luck to you you. we're going to take a commercial break and be back with Flex Facts today Dr. Fleck is talking about knowing when to take your pet to the vet now this is a segment you don't want to miss When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, visit www.epi-pet.com. So, I just moved in with this family, and it's embarrassing. The little one, he likes to go outside and crawl around in the giant litter box. I don't know what he's doing. I mean, I was born, and I knew how to use the litter box. That's disgusting! I really hope he grows out of this, for his sake. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Here at the Pet Buzz, we're urban. Suburban. And country. country. You know, your pet is part of your family, but your dog or cat can't complain. So how do you know when to seek medical help? Today on Fleck Facts, Dr. Fleck is going to review warning signs when you should take Fido or Felix to the veterinarian. 
Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. Your challenge is to separate what is true and is true from what is false. This is going to take long. You got the time. So, Dr. Fleck, I'm going to ask you, should you be worried if your animal skips a meal or two? No. Probably not if it skips a meal or two. But let's take a step back. We need to talk about cats versus the canine or the dog. Okay. Um, because cats really hide diseases a lot more than what dogs do. Generally speaking, they're more social with us and their behavior is more recognizable. Mm-hmm. But cats can hide their illness. So as the beginning of this, I would just say that if you start noticing problems with your cat, instantly that's when you should go to the vet. Okay. With the dog, you can possibly wait depending upon what the behavior and conditions are. You know, I think it's interesting because occasionally our dogs will miss a meal if it's really hot. Morrow's a picky eater, sometimes our nine-pound dog. You know, he might not eat. Now, if our nine-pound dog misses a meal, then I get a little worried because he likes to eat. But, you know, on hot days, but I think if you miss more than two meals, it's maybe a good indication. certainly. And especially when people try to give treats along with that, that they know they love and they don't take the treats. That might be a good you know, warning sign. Yeah, I think that's great. Okay, so we have a lot of overweight dogs these days, and I think uh, that could lead to like diabetes and a bunch of other things. So what if we see a dog that's got uh, excessive thirst? If it's got excessive thirst, you, you just mentioned one of the big diseases that, uh-huh. that we talk about with excessive thirst and urination, and that would be diabetes. But, you know, that could also be another kidney problem, too. Right. And kidney disease is something that's progressive and happens with our pets. And always remember, our pets are living longer, just like we're living longer. So what kind of diseases do we express? Kidney diseases, pancreatic diseases, diabetes, et cetera, Mm -hmm. as we mature. So those are all warning signs as they mature. And then probably a good response is if your pet acts a little bit Uh, with behavior that's not normal as we're aging, that would certainly be an indication that. Okay. So if you find yourself, you're Mm -hmm. refilling the water bowl a lot of times, Mm -hmm. probably an excessive amount of urination. Or if you're emptying the kitty box. And he needs to go outside more or he's having accidents in the house that he's never had before. It's time to go to the vet. If you've just joined us, this segment of the Pet Buzz is called Flex Facts. And we're talking to veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck, my co-host and partner in life, about when it's time to take your pet to the vet. Okay, so... Let's talk about sudden weight loss, because I think that comes up a lot. So most pets these days, as we said, are totally overweight. They're little fatties like a lot of us Americans. But what if our pets really start to lose weight? Should we be happy that he's getting slim and thin or should we kind of panic? Well, you know, as as we age, as people, sometimes we put on weight and sometimes we lose weight. So some of that may be a normal experience, but mm-hmm. if you start seeing excessive loss of weight, would you say ten percent yeah, of body I'd say weight? Ten percent okay. that I start becoming a little bit concerned. Um, but there's so many variables that could cause that. Mm-hmm. So that's why veterinarians are encouraging, for example, wellness blood tests every year. Okay, after the pet is eight, nine, yeah, ten years old, and especially if you have a smaller dog. You know, like we said, we just mentioned Wally's nine pounds. If he lost. of his body weight, that would definitely show on him. And make sure that if you're doing the wellness test that you're getting things like thyroid testing because that changes with time. And does that change with weight as well? And that'll change with weight as well. Okay. 
let's talk about if, uh, lastly, if you have a sluggish and all of a sudden really tired pet, he's lethargic. He's again, we could go back to a whole variety of different types of problems that exist. And it might even be normal just as they're aging and they want to slow down some. Could because of the weather. It's getting warmer. And it's getting warmer. If we lived in the north, mm-hmm. if it was getting colder, they sometimes want to sleep more too. Right. So, yes, the weather has has a, a factor on it. But I think the aging is the biggest normal experience that one might have. Yeah, and also, not- right, I would think if also, like, if it's getting hot, you know, I know because I have an arthritic knee. If it's getting hot. You know, sometimes they might not be as active as they used to be. Maybe they have a pulled muscle or they don't want to go out for walks. That's, I think, would be a sign. If you have a a normally active dog who, after a few days, doesn't want to go outside. Yeah, yeah. If you don't want to go outside and and you notice some patterns just changing behavior-wise, it's not bad to go ahead and, and visit with your veterinarian and have that conversation and see if there is something that may be moving in a bad direction. Well, you know, these are great tips and really something to think about. But Dr. Fleck, I know that you have some more and we really need to wrap this segment up, but... I would say one other thing. Okay. Always err on the safe side. I like that. That's good. Always err on the safe side. So so forearmed is forewarned. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. So we're going to put some of your other um, tips about taking your pet to the vet on our social media channels at the Pet Buzz. I think that's going to be great. We're just going to take a commercial break and be back talking about a new strain of disease that affects people and pets. When importing a dog into this country, you need to recognize that you could be bringing more than the dog. So stay tuned. We're going to be right back. This is a really important segment to carefully listen to. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. The Dynamic Pet Duo is back at you. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We are giving you some pet buzz to get you and your pet through the week. Well, if you recall, a few weeks ago, we had Patty Strand, Mm -hmm. founder and national director of the National Animal Interest Alliance. She came on the show discussing the dangers of adopting dogs from abroad. And now we've just read in the news that we have a dog that carried a new strain of a disease to the United States. So joining us today to talk about a dog that carried a new strain of distemper is Dr. Edward Dubavi, the director of virology section at the Animal Health Diagnostic Center at Cornell University. Dr. Dubavi, good morning and welcome to the Pet Buzz. 
Good morning. So, before we get started here, you want to tell us about canine distemper and how it affects dogs and their pet parents. Well, canine distemper has been known for uh, probably uh, 400, 500 years affecting dogs, and it's one of the more deadly viruses that we have with dogs. It mainly starts out in young animals as a probably upper respiratory infection, uh, sneezing, you may have some runny eyes. Uh, young dogs may also show some diarrhea associated with it. And that's sort of the first phase of the disease. Uh, if the animals survive that, and some, some don't, uh, it depends on age and breed and, and strain of virus, uh, a secondary problem might occur, and that is the virus may spread then to the central nervous system of the animal, and you end up with some neurologic diseases. Uh, again, depending on the severity, the dog uh, after this may have to be put down because the, uh, the neurologic problems are so severe. So it is not a, uh, a virus that it should be taken lightly. Wow. So I'm just curious, Dr. Nabavi, how did a dog enter the U.S. carrying a new strain of distemper? And what happened to that dog? Well, just to clarify something, this particular dog actually came in into Canada. So the original okay. report we sent out was was North America. But that doesn't really, uh, that's really not important. Both the countries have this sort of the same uh, relatively lax uh, requirements on importation. How the dog got here, we're not quite sure because we could not trace back the origin of this particular animal. There was a confidentiality issue with the veterinarian. We didn't get back to that. But there are, in the most recent estimate I saw, some the Humane Society, well over 200,000 dogs come into the United States through this pet traffic out there. You can go online right now and order a dog from Thailand and probably have it here in the U.S. in a couple of weeks. So that's one way. Those are private sort of contacts overseas in which dogs are shipped in. There's commercial programs where dogs are brought in. They're under more tight scrutiny with vaccinations and, and, and health certificates. There are uh, pet rescue groups out there who are rescuing dogs from particularly Asia in the meat markets. And so there are multiple ways these animals are coming in into the United States and Canada, and it's relatively uncontrolled in that we really don't know how many or where they go once they get here. So is it possible that this infected dog arrived with other dogs that could be carriers of the disease? And if that's the case, how would it be spread? Well, it is possible, and one of the issues we have is that dogs come in, depending on the volume of them, they come in as as cargo within within the airplanes that they're flying into. So a dog that uh, may be a personal pet may be in the hold of an airplane coming in if they don't have room for it in the passenger section, in with other dogs that are coming in is either commercial or through the rescue system. And so there could be easily transmission of an infectious disease as these dogs are brought from their origin into, into the country. So this particular virus, canine distemper, is easily spread through aerosols, dogs sneezing, coughing, uh, through fomites. Uh, one dog licks another or licks a particular surface. So it's it's in the same group as the human measles virus, and human measles virus is the most contagious virus we know of. And canine distemper is in that same family, and the spread and ease of spread is virtually the same. So vaccinations definitely are important. If you've just joined us, we're talking with Cornell's Dr. Dubavi about if current vaccination can protect us from new strains of the disease. So, Doc, does the current distemper vaccination that we offer protect against this new strain? To the best of our estimate, it probably does. 
There are multiple vaccines for canine distempers throughout the world, and there are multiple strains of virus in some of those vaccines. What I'm not aware of is how whether the U.S. variety of vaccines are used in Asia to protect against the Asia 1 strain. But we know that there are multiple changes of the virus here within the U.S. itself. And as far as we know, a properly immunized, and the, and the watchword here is immunized, not vaccinated. Vaccinated is, is one part of the immunization. Properly immunized dogs currently in the United States are not dying of canine distemper, and we don't have any reason to believe at this point in time that this is going to be a breakthrough, but we have to monitor for that. So who else can be affected by this Asian one strain? Well, my not main concern, but one of my concerns on this is that we call this canine distemper virus, but here, particularly in northeast the United States, but also through the country, this particular virus can infect many, many different species of wildlife. Most commonly, the raccoon, foxes, coyotes, mink, fishers, martens. So it is. it has a tremendous wildlife reservoir. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with Dr. Edward Dubavi of Cornell University. We're so happy that you're here, like enlightening us about all these things that are going on, because it's it really, I believe, can have some economic consequences to pet owners and others. Is that correct? It does. And it depends on what's come in. We've uh, our experience with sort of the uh, another agent that came in in 2015 was a canine influenza virus that came in from Asia. And uh it came in at least four or five different times. So it wasn't just one introduction. It was four or five different introductions that, into the U.S. by by dogs coming from overseas. And uh, the economic consequences of that were substantial. And uh, we now have vaccines out there for those particular viruses. But the cost now back to the dog owner is if you're, you're vaccinating, it could be substantial. So very difficult to put numbers on how much it costs, but it was it was in the millions of dollars. Yeah, I remember that in 2015. And I also remember like doggy daycares uh, were shutting down. Hotels that usually cater to uh, dog owners in Chicago were not letting dogs come. So really, a lot of people lost a lot of money. Pet owners had to go and get the vaccinations, talk to their doctors. Nobody could go to the dog parks. Those are all the consequences of that. Uh, there's multiple levels. Dog shows were canceled. Hotels lost money. Of course, that was one strain of the flu, and then a couple of years ago, now we have another one, H3N2. Yeah, well, the H3N2 was the big one. The other one that we had in the U.S. was sort of a homegrown variety, but the, the introduction was the big hit to the dog owners of this country. So why does this situation present a bigger overall problem? Well, this report of this canine distemper in this dog, uh, it, it's given us a warning and recently, within the last three or four days, there was a report out of Wisconsin where they picked up a bacterial disease in dogs called canine brucellosis or brucella. Now, that particular uh, bacteria causes reproductive problems or dogs, abortions, and whatever. But it's one which there are no vaccines for. And that's another agent that came in with a group of dogs from somewhere in Asia. So we're trying to raise awareness of the fact that if we don't start looking for some of these pathogens that affect our domestic populations, we're going to end up paying the price again, as we did with the canine flu in Chicago. Wonderful information. Well, Dr. Dabavi, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you give us a website where we can learn more? Well, I think the best place to go for is, is simply to go on your, your search engines and just go to the 
AVMA website, and they have multiple uh, pages there for different uh, dog diseases or pet diseases, and canine distemper is one of those, and that, that's, a, that's a really good site to go to to uh, learn more about canine distemper. Great. Thank you so much. I'm sure the AVMA will be happy that you're giving them some props. <laughs> that was Dr. Edward Dubavi, Director of the Virology Section at the Animal Health Diagnostic Center at Cornell University discussing a new strain of canine distemper and how it could affect North America. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a flash. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. Sure, I'm a little rough and tough. Somebody's got to me. I like the outdoors, camping, boating, riding in your truck with my head out the window. Yeah, I'll poop outside. Doesn't everyone? A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Well, we're back, and you're listening to the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. That's the bell, signifying it's time to wrap up the show. Already. I know. But before we go, we want to give you a preview for next week's show. Next week, we're talking about the Kentucky Derby. That's Kentucky Derby 145, the longest continuously held sporting event in the United States. <laughs> I can't wait because I am going to be live from Louisville. I'm jealous. I know. I could see they're, you're green with envy. Yeah. But before we wrap this show, you have to thank our guest. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. John DeYoung, Deirdre Schleninger, uh-huh. and Dr. Edward Dubavi. Okay, that's great. And we always must thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. You have a question, write to us at teamatthepetbuzz.com, and we'll cover it on our next show. Just so you know, you can follow along on our social media channels as the show airs, and we post our thoughts, pictures, and more as you listen to our show. Absolutely. We love that. Okay. And if you've missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the Link Podcast on Monday morning. And most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.